Welcome to the BASAC View. We are the Battlefords and Area Sexual Assault Center, and this is an educational podcast about consent, self-healing, and keeping yourself safe. Join Kayla and Michelle as they maneuver their way into all the topics you hate dogging your kids about. Sex, puberty, body safety, growing up, and most importantly, power in no. Because consent is mandatory. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to episode eight of the BSAC View. Episode eight. Wow. Hey, everybody. I know we're almost in double digits. Can you believe it? (laughs) So first off, we just want to say thank you to everybody for your feedback and your response to the podcast. As usual, we love giving thanks to our listeners. And we also just wanted to plug um, our current fundraiser that we have going on right now for the month of March. Um, If you donate $40, you will receive one of our beautiful handmade by BASAC staff. BASAC mugs. They're pretty awesome. And uh, those are in celebration of our 40th anniversary, which was technically last year. So our fundraiser name is actually called COVID's Dollar Anniversary Fundraiser. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, go on our website, go on social media, our Facebook, our Instagram, and you can find more details for that. Right. It's been it's been a fun fundraiser so far. It has been fun. Yeah, it has. We've 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 been getting creative with our fundraising (laughs) ideas now in COVID. Uh, so Michelle, what are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about the male sexual assault and kind of what brought this on is you and I were talking to one of our city's officials last week Mm -hmm. and he said he was surprised that men actually use our services. So we were like, really? You know, I don't know if people realize how frequent it happens to men too, right? The sexual assault. So we do have a couple stats. Now, depending on where you access it, some stats say one in five men and some stats say one in six men. And we we always just say, and those are just the reported cases. Either way, one in five or one in six is still not a small number, right? At all. And like you said, those stats are from cases that are only reported, Mm -hmm. Only reported numbers. And I mean, the long-term effects of sexual abuse of women by men, that's been studied and that's been researched. And there's a lot of information about it. But I don't think there's been as much research done um, exploring the effects of sexual assault by men towards other men. The numbers are there, so we know it's happening. It's definitely happening. But we don't hear much about it. And... We know that the effects of any man being sexually assaulted are very similar to that of a woman being sexually assaulted. You know, there's that huge sense of shame and self-blame, humiliation, fear, anger, rage, anxiety, depression. Go on and on and on, right, with that. But yeah, like you said, why is it that it's reported less? And I think that has a lot to do with their identity. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, men are supposed to be strong and the knight in shining armor, like we talked about last week. And to be violated in such a way creates a little bit of a confusion with their identity. I mean, a manly man would never allow that to happen, right? Some men feel so completely emasculated Mm -hmm. after being assaulted. I think that's a really big part of it. And that could be why they don't report. Yeah, you know, and I think... I think that the people who are the healers and the helpers when it comes to men's sexual assault or women's sexual assault, 
they should have more specific training on how to respond to a male survivor's experience. Because there's still a lot of stigma around that. A there's still of... a lot of stereotype around that. Yeah. Yeah. So the police, the doctors, the nurses, the ER staff, therapists even, right? We need to be well equipped to handle this type of crime when it's committed against men and women too. It's just this topic today is about men. And that needs to change so that men, they start to feel safer coming forward. So they talk about men suffering in silence, and they do, and that's just not fair. Men fear, as women do, that they're not going to be believed. Mm -hmm. But I think even more so for men, because there is that stereotype, there is that stigma around that. They fear ridicule, they fear shame, they fear being thought of as weak. That's the worst thing to be called, right, Mm -hmm. is weak. Mm -hmm. That they weren't manly enough to prevent the assault. These are all fears that men think. So they stay silent, right? They're trying to adjust to their new normal, trying to maneuver and make sense of something that was so traumatic and life-changing for them. And many end up self-medicating, of course, with alcohol, with drugs, right? And many end up in jail because of it. It's not manly to talk about emotions. It's not manly to talk about how they're feeling. So they try to mask it. They mask it with that booze. They mask it with the drugs. Yeah. And You know, that's in the end, that's not very successful, right? It's always going to manifest in some way. It's going to come up in anger or it's going to come up in acting out. Like it's going to come up. Of course. We need to create that space for men to feel safe. And, you know, we talk about women being um, wounded a second time when they're judged for what they were wearing at the time of their assault, for what they drank, for how they walked or how they talked or, you know, any of that stuff that we've, we've talked about in the past. But... There is also that second wounding that happens to men as well about their assault. And we need to understand that. Mm -hmm. It's traumatic for men as much as it is traumatic for women. You know, I know of a fellow who was hurt. And when I met him years ago, he actually looked like a tough and rough biker guy. I was a little bit intimidated by him because he looked so tough. And again, a lot of that's based on my own experiences in life, right? But as we talked... I saw that facade completely melt away. He was a very scared and he was a very hurt man. And he dressed rough like that because he was too scared to be himself again. Wow. Yeah, he wow. he was too scared to be vulnerable. So he it wasn't in his comfort zone, but that is how he felt he had to dress, right? To protect himself. Well, yeah, because he feared of being attacked again. So he felt he had no choice. The assault actually only happened like three months before we talked mm. and it was really fresh and he was really emotional about it. And I can't blame him. Right. Rightly I, so. Yeah. I did encourage him to get counseling. He was adamant about not reporting it. So I had to respect that. But so again, Michelle, why wouldn't he report? Why not report? Well, the number one reason that men don't report is that they fear that others will perceive them as being homosexual. Mm. And you know what else? The majority of assaulters, so the so the men who are doing the assaulting are heterosexual. Right? So that makes you wonder what's going on. For sure. And of the men doing the assaulting who are heterosexual, most have not been sexually abused, as one would think. Right? They might have been victims of domestic violence 
or they might have a lot of emotional trauma from things that happened in their life. But in most cases, they have not been sexually abused themselves. They were stripped of their power in some other way. And they're just trying to dominate over their victim to regain that sense of power. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Okay, so what about when men say that they've been assaulted by a woman? Some people believe that that can't be true. So can it? Uh, Of course it can be true, right? The only thing is, again, it's so seldom reported. Women can and women do sexually assault men. Of course. yeah, And they sexually assault other women too. Yes. And it is more prevalent that it's the males who assault other males, but women do it too, like I said. But they use other things, like they'll use sex toys or different objects, or they'll use blackmail to get their the male their male victim to do what they want. Another misconception is that only gay males assault other males. Big misconception. Well, yeah, that's just what I talked about, right? Yep. That it's very incorrect. Again, the majority of sexual assault crimes that are reported are committed by heterosexual men. The assault on another man gives them a feeling of power, a feeling of control, or a feeling of dominance. And it they get that more by sexually assaulting a man than they would sexually assaulting a female. Because it's more about violence and anger for men than it is about lust and attraction. Right. Like, you know what I mean? So, and one of the other misconceptions that go along with that is that only gay men are assaulted. And while it is shown that sexual assault on gay men is a bit higher, the numbers for heterosexual men are very high as well. And sadly, it's adolescent males who are the most frequently targeted. So heartbreaking. Another huge thing people believe is that men who get erections during their assault are actually turned on by it, that they want this to be happening. Let's go through the biology of that. We need to understand that there is a gland in the anus called the prostate. It's a prostate gland. And if it's stimulated, it can cause erection, even in the most unwilling victim. It is biological, like you said, and it, under any circumstance, does not mean that the victim is enjoying what is happening. It's also a belief that men prefer to stay silent about their assault. Let's keep it hush-hush. You know, that's not even true, right? Men want to talk about it, but they need to feel pretty darn safe to do so. So not much differently than a a female survivor, for sure. But men actually may feel that they need permission to speak about it. They need permission to speak about their vulnerabilities and their fears and their anxieties. And that talking about it in a safe environment can actually change everything for them. Of course it can. Absolutely it can. So can I read you some testimonials from male survivors? Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm going to give you a little warning that they're heartbreaking. A little bit graphic. Okay. Right? Okay. So this uh, came from a source I found online. And this they're all holding signs, these men, mm-hmm. about what happened to them. Okay. There was only silence as he stuck his tongue down my throat and then other things. I was four. Mm. These are all grown men holding signs. 
This fellow was told, no one is going to love you. No one is going to care. You are damaged now. I mean, how does that not mess with when you're young and someone tells you that you're damaged? You're going to believe that. You're going to think that. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. This fellow writes, men can't get raped when I told someone. That's what he was told, right? Men can't get raped. That's the belief out there. And that's why we're trying to debunk them. Another fellow holding a sign. It's okay. All brothers do this. It's called practicing. Oh my God. That's what he was told. This fellow, you say you were abused. You weren't abused, you little baby. Maybe I should pull off your pants and I'll show you what abuse is. And then you'll really be abused by his mother. His mother said that to him when he told her. That is disgusting. Disgusting. So another fellow holding a sign, I want to show you how much I care. That's what he was told when he was being abused. Another fellow, I'll kill your sisters. And it's his stepfather saying that to him on his 13th birthday when his father abused him. Little did I know they were also being told the same thing. So their stepfather was abusing all of his brothers and sisters. Or him and his sisters. Another fellow, if you tell anyone, you will be kicked out of the school. And it was his assistant Taekwondo teacher when he was 11 years old. And this fellow did not tell anyone until he was 31. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine living with that for that many years? And he has written here, shame and self-blame. Which he wasn't to blame at all, right? No doubt. This fellow writes, if you say anything, I'll kill your mother. My 16-year-old cousin, as he hid us in the basement bathroom while my mother came down to do laundry. I was two years old at the time, and I'm now 33. It still hurts. You got away with it, and I'm scarred for life. Thanks for opening that door. Another fellow holding a sign in his face is so sad. He said, you're a guy. You can't say no to a girl like me. So it was a girl. See, it happens. Yeah. Wow. This fellow signed, he was a cop. He did what he wanted. He laughed when I cried and I was 10. Another fellow holding a sign. Don't worry, boys are supposed to like this. This is what he was told. So, I mean, can you imagine the damage done to that, right? It's a lot of damage. And mm-hmm. and when you're that young, a lot of those happened when they were young. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of psychological damage. Mm-hmm. That ta- that's that takes years to unravel. That takes years to heal from. That takes years to even confront a lot of the time. Right. And I mean, we've talked about uh, women being assaulted too. So we're not negating anything here about women. This is a podcast about male sexual abuse right we're we're fully aware women experience the the same things of course right Right? and do they want to talk so the question was you asked me do men want to talk about it yeah yeah i think they do but they need to feel safe right they need that they need safe supports Mm -hmm. they need a safe environment Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm So another thing, you guys, men who are assaulted, they will experience a variety of feelings, right? They'll be experiencing disbelief, Mm -hmm. denial, shock, numbness, fear, anxiety, and confusion. They may feel embarrassed. They may feel shame, hopelessness, guilt, and even thoughts about suicide. So depression could absolutely be a result Mm -hmm. and is likely a result. 
they may feel isolated or they actually do isolate themselves for beer for fear of being found out that's right yeah and you know what they may act out with violence or anger or hostility they may try to act more manly and downplay their experience right oh it's no big deal but that actually can harm them in more ways because again it's probably going to show up in another way with that anxiety that rage that sickness maybe an inability to perform sexually for sure lots of things could show up and like you talked about that isolation some really actually fear getting into a serious relationship for fear of being found out absolutely so the next thing is the next question we have and is the most important in my opinion how do we support male survivors of sexual assault the same way we support female survivors. And we say this, we've said, said this in a few episodes. I think we've said it in every episode. Yeah, because <laughs> the more people hear it, right? Re- repetition, repetition, repetition. But first and foremost, if somebody discloses that something like this happened to, to them, believe, believe them. them, right? You need to believe them. I thought this was interesting to um, hear that most men prefer to report by phone rather than in person. And you know why? So they can't see the reaction on the person's face they are reporting to. Well, that's heartbreaking. It is. Yeah, because they, you know, if they see any kind of reaction of what, wait, what, no, disbelief, whatever it is, right? That That's going to, they're going to shut up. They're not going to say anything, right? Puts them back into that silent mode. Right? So we need to watch our reactions with our male victims or survivors who report, as well as our female survivors. And assault survivors, and we say this over and over and over again, <laughs> yeah. survivors are not to blame for the assault. Male, female, whatever, ever. ever. They are not to blame. And again, it's repetition because we need people. we need people to realize that. And we need to let our survivors know that. We need to reassure them over and over and over again, especially if they're assaulted as children, that they were unable to process that they weren't to blame, right? They're going to carry that blame going forward. And we need to also let them know that there is no right way to feel. There's no right way to heal. And there is no right way to move forward. Everyone's going to move forward in a different way. Do they, maybe they just want you to listen, just to sit there judgment-free and just hear their story. They need to tell somebody. They just, you know, they just needed a safe place to tell their experience. And remember to always ask before you touch, right? Always. That's very crucial. And some people, whether they're assaulted or not, some just don't find touch to be very soothing. So add an assault on top of that. Of course, that would be an uncomfortable thing. Touch would be uncomfortable. And we even teach our pre-K kids this, right? Ask before you touch someone. Simple. Everybody should ask anybody before they touch them, right? And then, you know, let them take it from there. Once they've they've disclosed to you and they've had the the conversation with you, um, let them take it from there. Let them feel that control. Or if they're interested in reporting would ask them if they would like you to go with them, right? Now, we also have to keep in mind, Kayla, that that duty to report, right? So if it's somebody under the age of 18 who is disclosing 
you have a legal um, obligation, obligation totally. a duty to report there. Absolutely. Ask them if they are interested in getting counseling. Very important. Yes. Yeah. They may only be willing to take it one step at a time. And that's okay. Right? Baby right. steps are still steps. Yeah. And tell them and make that be okay for them. Right? Don't push them. Don't they again want to feel that control. And for goodness sakes, unless the person telling you is under 18, like we said, you have to keep their information confidential, right? Absolutely. It took huge courage to talk about it, and we need to respect that and keep that information to ourselves. Absolutely. If they choose not to report or if they choose not to forego counseling, mm -hmm. check on them. Mm -hmm. Check on them. See how they're doing. Right. I mean, that's really important. I was thinking, all this has brought up a lot of things, and I was thinking about a friend of mine. She had her neighbors babysit her young son a few times. Then she noticed that he was acting out a little bit. He was grumpier. He wasn't wanting to go to play next door like he always was excited to. And he actually slept a lot. So behavioral changes, mm -hmm. noticeable changes. Mm -hmm. And he was young. Like we're talking six years old, seven years old. And it took some doing, but she got it from him that the neighbor's oldest son had been molesting her son when he was over there to babysat, wow. to be babysat for, wow. for years. Wow. Like it was going on for a long time. So you need to watch those signs. For sure. We talk about how survivors um, may not disclose because they were threatened and same, you know, I, and I read some of those examples, right? That they were told they would be killed if they talked to their families or they, or their families would be hurt. Right. Right. Like we said, we just never know what the predators are saying. Pay attention to your children. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. Ask questions about the time that they spend with others and who they're hanging out with, who they're spending their time mm -hmm. with. Always let them know that they can come to you with anything. And huge again, broken record player, never blame. Yeah. Never blame. What did you do to attract that? Right. Right. That's no. not relevant. No, no. And we're doing our best. I mean, we're trying again. You know, we're not physically going into schools, but we're still doing some um, virtual teaching here. And we teach kids ways to protect themselves. Right? We, we have those awkward conversations and that's what we do. But we also talk about those big emotions. We talk about how to handle frustration and rage. We talk about how to ask for help. If those emotions get too big or if they want, if they feel like they want to hurt other people, because that's part of it, right? What, what I said before, it's heterosexual men who are, feel a loss of control somewhere in their life. They want to power over somebody. Those are the, those are the people who are assaulting. So if we can get to them when they're younger and help them to control those big emotions, you know, maybe we'll see a decrease in that, right? As parents, we can't be scared of our children and be too scared to have these type of conversations. As uncomfortable right? as it is, absolutely. I mean, I know it's hard. My surly teenager growled at me this morning when I asked him to start <laughs> my car, right? So I get it how sometimes it's just easier to... Not talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> and let it be and they'll figure it out and, you know. But also last night, we had a great conversation about 
how he should be treating women because he is in a relationship. Like he does have a girlfriend, but he's got lots of girls who are friends too. Right. So how they should be treated. I, you know, we talked about that rape culture, that locker room talk kind of stuff. And we also though spoke about how he should allow himself to be treated in a relationship because that goes both ways. So good. Yes. Right. And I know those are hard conversations to have. They're a bit awkward, but it gives them permission to be themselves. It gives them an idea of what to expect. And it gives them an opportunity to ask what if questions so that they are prepared if the what if situation ever arises. We need to coach our children and we keep need to and keep those guidelines. Absolutely. And keep those lines of communication open, mm-hmm. open ended. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Assault, rape abuse, violation, whatever you want to call it, it wounds people. It wounds people deeply. And we have to talk about it more. We have to. We have to let people know that they have safe spaces to talk about what has happened to them. We have to teach our kids to be safe, to know the signs and to understand the grooming process, which is partially what we do. It is what we do. It is what we do. Yeah. We have to get our angry kids some help. The kids with anger issues, the kids with rage issues. We have to get to the source of that anger and that rage so they don't grow up hurting other people. That's right. And like I said, we need to talk to our sons about that rape culture, about the locker room talk, about sticking up for their peers instead of going along with the crowd. That's one of our presentations that we do, right? We talk about respect. We talk about being a bystander, what all that looks like. And I know it's hard, but it's necessary. It's so important. It's so, so important. There's a lot of work to be done. I mean, what was acceptable... You talk about, you know, we're talking about the Dr. Seuss thing, the books being pulled out, the Pepe Le Pew stuff, right. that sort of thing. Yeah. And we have to understand that back in those days, it wasn't it wasn't um, appropriate at all, but it just goes to show you that... How normalized it was. How normalized it was and the mindset that we're up against now, because it's still these these people who lived in that era are still the parents and the grandparents. For sure. Of children and in their minds, well, that was acceptable then. Why is it not acceptable now? Maybe or you guys need to man up. I mean, look what we did back in our day, and nobody was offended. Right. No, we were offended, absolutely. But it wasn't the norm. Silence, right? It was we were we were taught to be silent. You don't talk about that sort of stuff, right? Sixty years ago, it was very hush hush. We didn't talk about it, so I feel bad for Pepe Le Pew, but I understand you know, where that's going. And, and that those are some steps that we need to take in order to not normalize. And I don't think there's anything wrong with us as a society saying, wow, that is so blatantly inappropriate. Like, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. We should be in the day and age of growth. And canceling some stuff, taking out some racist books off of a bookshelf. I think it's a step in the right direction. Right. And again, we're fighting against that normalcy, right? There's still that generation that, oh, you guys, you're such wimps and that right. sort of thing. But sexual assault's on the rise, right? It hasn't. And and we're hearing about it more and more and more, which is great. People are talking about it. And that puts fear into a lot of people. Our society, 
our survivors, our children, our men, our women, they need us to talk about it more. And so maybe, maybe we can make a difference. We're trying. We're trying. One person at a time, one family member at a time, one friend at a time. Right. One podcast at a time. (laughs) One podcast at a time. And I mean, that's a good segue. That is the end of our episode. Episode eight of the Basak View. You guys, please do not forget to rate, subscribe and leave us a review. It always helps us out. And until the next episode, episode nine. Bye, you guys. Take care of each other. Bye bye.